Hello and welcome back to the Cloisterbell podcast and following on from last week's episode we're continuing our discussion about the day of the Doctor. After this, we go to the under gallery. Mm-hmm. There's all the stone dust. Um, we've got the, we've got Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy hiding under the sheets. <laughs> yes, as doc as documented in the Five-ish Doctors reboot. Yep. Yep. Um, the Eleventh Doctor finds a fez. Right. I want to know if I mean you may not remember this because this is re- this is really obscure. But if any listeners think the same, is that is the whole thing to do with the fez? I know there was the whole thing about Matt Smith's doctor and loving fezes and things like that. But having the fez in that cabinet and all the rest of it, is this a reference to Silver Nemesis? Do you think? I think so. I just thought maybe it was one of the one of the eleventh Doctor's fezes. Maybe, but because um, there's a bit in Silver Nemesis where they've gone to Windsor Castle uh-huh. and they're in the vaults underground and the seventh doctor comes across a fez and puts it on but i mean is <laughs> i mean this is a reference that's probably so obscure that maybe even even <laughs> Stephen Moffat probably wouldn't probably didn't even clock why would it be important though no no i'm not saying it's the important <laughs> why is it in the under gallery i'm not saying it's important i'm just saying maybe it's a reference to <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I would never argue Silver Nemesis was important enough. <laughs> oh, so they go in the next room, and there's all the empty paintings. So this is quite creepy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think that you know that that was handled really well. Mm. Um, you know, and once again, you know, is it's a good idea. But this, yeah, it is a creepy idea. This idea of that um, figures and paintings. Can actually become sentient and escape the paintings and attack you. Oh, and the time fissure opens, and it's good that the eleventh Doctor says, "I remember this sort of," mm-hmm. because I imagine a lot of people will be watching this thinking, "Wait a minute, how does he not remember all this?" Well, it's funny because I've my interpretation of these things, like going off, growing up the classic series. So when you've got three Doctors, uh the five doctors and the two doctors my view of it has always been that because of the events that are taking place uh time gets a bit complicated and tangled up um but even though the because past doctors are involved but because of the way that time works i've always thought that i mean it's a bit complicated but really the only person who can fully remember it is the then current doctor yeah um and yeah that that theory sort of like gets referenced here and funny enough Stephen Moffat basically writes that into the novelization that there's this there's there's this vague notion of maybe on the fringes of memory uh remembering things but really it only comes fully into focus when the events have sort of repeated themselves for the for the most current doctor yeah 
<clears throat> and of course, you can interpret that in any story, can't you? Mm-hmm. Like you, none, none of the present doctors have any foreknowledge of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from well, you, if we use time crash as an example, um, David Tennant's doctor wasn't expecting it to happen, but then later on, he, he has a realization. That he's lived through it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it kind of comes to him. I know there's different kind of um, explanations. In The Day of the Doctor, I think, doesn't he say something to the extent of um, the timelines are, are out of sync? Yes, yes, it re- does. can't retain it. Yeah. Um, I think it's also been explained before, possibly in a book that I've read, this attribute of the Doctor's not remembering encounters with the future selves is inherently part of being a time lord. It's been coded into the DNA as a failsafe to protect um the their chronology in their timeline from any paradoxes. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a bit of a um a bit of a big explanation though. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the one in the day of the Doctor is a bit simpler. Yeah. So the eleventh Doctor travels through meets the meets David Tennant. Mm-hmm. It's like a special effect. That's what he says. Oh yes, yeah, he t- yeah. <laughs> um, but they seem to get on really well. Yes, they do, which uh, which is quite nice. I mean, when we looked at Time Crash, one of the things that you said about that was you wished there was a bit more animosity between. Davison and Tennant's Doctor. Mm-hmm. Do you wish that was the case here, or do you like the fact that they get on? Well, in this instance, I like the fact that they get on mm-hmm. because moments later you've got the War Doctor coming in, which adds another dynamic. And the 10th and 11th Doctor um, have this united front against the War Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think in respect to this story, um, it kind of works well that they're both on the same page. Yes, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Because I think, given their relationship with the War Doctor, I think it probably would have been a bit too much if you had Tennant and Smith's Doctor not getting along as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't think it would have made for particularly enjoyable viewing. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's quite delightful because actually there's a lot of... I mean, because of the type of story it is and, it, and what it's covering, there's a lot of seriousness here, but it's mm-hmm. balanced with quite a lot of humour. Yeah. Uh, which is nice, and a lot of that humour comes from Tennant and Smith's uh, relationship. And I think they clearly get on well as as, as, as people in general anyway, because I remember when, um, during the time when this was broadcast, they both appeared on the Graham Norton show. Right. Okay. And uh, I remember watching that, and they, they, you know, they, they clearly got on and were having a laugh, and so that was quite, that was quite nice to see. Yeah, that's the nice thing. David Tennant doesn't seem like a really stuck-up actor <laughs> who will hold hold any resentment or any weird feelings <laughs> towards his successor. Yeah, yeah. And Matt, and Matt, it's the same with Matt Smith. I don't, th- you know, um, he seems a quite. decent grounded chap do you think Matt Smith's doctor was in the foreground enough in this story 
considering he's the current doctor? Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, do you think he should have been? I think thinking about it, maybe he wasn't. No. But I don't think I don't think he was massively sidelined. No. Um, and I think given what the story is, because one, I love the story. I think it's I think it's very good. Um, I think I think actually it's quite well balanced uh, on the whole. Yeah, I think it is balanced well, mm-hmm. but I think we could have got more with him in. Yes, possibly. Because obviously we've got the stuff with the Tenth Doctor and Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and we've got the stuff with the War Doctor and Billy Piper's character. Yeah. But Matt Smith's Doctor, he's just kind of part of the narrative going through it. He doesn't have these little little things on the side that he does. Yes, that's true. Um, but I think if you look at how his doctors utilized within the story i think he i think he serviced quite well and mm. i mean again leaping ahead but um when it comes to the very end it's it's his doctor who comes up with the idea of how to resolve the situation yeah i think that was done well yeah mm. so it's interesting when the war doctor arrives and the 10th and 11th doctors seem quite scared mm-hmm. um the war doctor doesn't suspect that they are the doctor. Yeah. yeah. No, no, he doesn't. And again, I, I quite liked, I, I liked that scene. Um, and I think in some respects, what Stephen Moffat had done with the war doctor from this point on in the story mm-hmm. is sort of have him be a representation of how classic doctors were written and perceived. Yeah. Um, because since the show's come back, um, all the actors, to some extent, have been quite energetic and ri- obviously written differently because, you know, time, you know, significant number of times passed. The show's written in a completely different way and um, utilises language differently. Um, to and that's, um, who was that's elaborated here with a screwdriver, isn't it? When he says, "Why are you waving your sonics around like a like a weapon?" Yeah, the scientific but, instrument. So, yeah. so that marks a difference. When Matt Smith talks about timey wimey, <laughs> <laughs> I love um, what Stephen Moffat had done for for the War Doctor's reaction and how John Hurt plays that. <laughs> timey what? You know, <laughs> you know, I think I thought that was great. And um, although um, the Fifth Doctor did join in. The timey wimey. Oh yeah, that's true. And time crash. But he forgot that. Yeah, yeah, and he he forgot that, and um, and obviously that works in time crash. But he had you know the war doctor's a much more serious character. Uh-huh. But as I say, on the whole, he sort of, in some respects, he sort of represents classic doctors. Yeah, and because he's from the classic era, why does that stand the reason that he doesn't know what cup of soups are? Hmm. <laughs> it's like what are cup of soups <laughs> surely you'd know yeah maybe yeah you maybe you should know when were cup of, cup of soups around did they come, so that, out, come out in the 80s or was it earlier hmm I'll have a little look yeah yeah go on let's do something if it, were, if it was during the wilderness years we can let him off I've googled the history of cup of soups but nothing came up 
Yeah, in terms of a time period, I'm not. I'm not coming up with. I'm not coming up with anything. I'll I'll Google world's oldest cup of soup. <laughs> oh, this looks dated. Um, I found bachelor's cup of soups, and there's a box, and the guy's got really bad hair, possibly from the seventies. Right. Okay. And he's wearing a woolly jumper. It's the nineteen seventies. Do you think they'd still be safe for human consumption now? Um, there's only one way to find out. I'd be surprised. <laughs> well, if copper soups are dangerous, then blimey. <laughs> anyway, so the doctors are taken to the Tower of London. Mm-hmm. Conveniently, Unit HQ. Yep. Um, do you think it would have affected the outcome if he explained the moment? Well, he can't really because he can't really explain where he is in his timeline, can he? It's strange that the 10th and 11th Doctors think the War Doctor has already done it and ended the Time War. Yeah, I think um, because that's even all... though he Even though he died straight after. Yeah, but I suppose that, that, that's sort of answered with the, the memory side of things being absolutely yeah. not fully remembering events. But, um, but also I think because... That's all they think of him as. Yeah, it's 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 the first thing immediately they remind with 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 this past incarnation, which is you know he is solely synonymous with um, using the moment. Yeah, um, I think it's quite nice the way that it's revealed that it, it's Clara who works it out. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I do like about Clara is the way that you know she she know you know. It's, it's his idea. She knows the doctor very well, you know, and she can just look into his eyes and, you know, work it out. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, so I like that how how it's written. And it's Clara who 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 knows you haven't done it yet, have you? This is, you know, there's something else going on. Yeah, there's one thing about Clara that my wife picked up on when we watched it this week that the all the other doctors treat Clara the same way like they don't even question the fact that they don't know her and they don't know what kind of person she is mm-hmm. they just kind of they, they trust the 11th Doctor's judgement on that yeah that's true and I think yeah I never thought of it like that but yeah that, that's a really good thing to pick up on and yeah it's it's well you're a friend of the Doctor we're all a Doctor so you're our friend mm. um, we've never got our companions wrong before so yeah that makes sense Oh, so then we've got the scene with Kate and Clara in the Black Archive. Mm-hmm. And the Black Archive um, was first introduced in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh, yes, it was. It wasn't the Tower of London. No, no, it wasn't. But you could you could argue that it's just a different site that they've got, or maybe it was moved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the um, that's one thing that I do like. I like... Uh, I do like the Tower of London uh, setting. And actually, go- going back, there's a, there's a sort of like a throwaway line, a bit of a joke at the very beginning, where um, Kate is talking about the crows and how their batteries have nearly <laughs> are nearly running down. Yeah. So it's this idea that uh, all the crows in Tower of London are robotic. <laughs> do you think you would have liked an anniversary story that featured lots of people returning? Or do you think it would have been a bit of a mess like Journey's End? I think it would have been a bit of a mess. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got problems with Journey's End, but I think actually in terms of the amount of characters that that story had, mm. um, I think they're handled quite well. When um, I watch Journey's End, I look at it and think how I wouldn't change the story, but I, w- I would change certain things. Mm, right, Poss- okay. Possibly the way it was directed. All right, okay, that's interesting. I mean, it's been quite a while since I've watched that story, so yeah, I'd be quite... I'd be quite curious to go back and and mm. uh, see what I think about it. Yeah. But in terms of an anniversary special, where they bring in as many characters and as uh, and actors from the past as possible, mm. I think the last because I said that I said this when we reviewed it. I think the last time they could conceivably do that while still writing a decent story. So I think uh, the last time that they could do an anniversary special where they get as many uh, many characters and actors from the past involved um, whilst still doing um, a coherent story was The Five Doctors. Yeah. Um, because I think if you're going to do an anniversary special where you're going to chuck in as many characters and actors from the past as possible, it will it will be to the detriment of the story. And that's completely the wrong thing to do. And I think that's probably... You probably get something something like Dimensions in Time. Yeah. Where I think what they were trying to do was get all the Doctors and as many as the companions as possible. But in order for to do a story like that, you just get a series of set pieces which don't really make sense. So it'll always be to the detriment of the story. So I think... Um, so just following on that point, I think with 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 Day of the Doctor I think I think they've you know, they've got that really well the story comes first and it's it's as balanced out as much as possible yeah so with Clara in the Tower of London when she's brought there by the duplicate of Kate Stewart mm-hmm. um, why did they bring Clara there is there something I missed that's a good point actually um it's almost like they brought her along just to reveal their plan. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I suppose it it could be explained that it's Clara. You know, Clara's there, and she maybe have some intel. Uh, you know, some some knowledge which may be of use, or she'll need to be got got rid of. And or maybe they want to duplicate her. Yeah, that, that's another thing as well. Um, I would. I probably th- probably that one actually. Yeah. Um, to duplicate. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So back in the cell, the war doctor figures out how to destroy the door. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's, it's going to take a long time. But the moment points out to him about the screwdrivers. And obviously figures that out. And that becomes clear later on that the moment was shown him this point in history. Um, so he could use this method to save Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. But it's strange here that the moment intervenes so much. She points out about the screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and I think, I think obviously, I think it's it's the idea that the the moment knows that the doctor doesn't have to, you know, doesn't have to use her, um, and so you know keeps on keeps on pushing that. Yeah. Just a daft little thing because I know um, when the war doctor is talking about how he can work out the calculation of how to destroy the door at a subatomic level. 
and he talks about how he can implement that as a subroutine into the sonic screwdriver yeah um i mean it, it makes it makes sense what he's said but it's just that it's just the use of the word subroutine um it just makes me think of what Christopher Hamilton Bidme did as a script editor because you know, he tried. He was uh, in the early eighties. He was really inspired by computers, and mm-hmm. there's a couple of stories, Logopolis and Castrovalva in particular, where he uses things where he mentions subroutines. I was just wondering if um, maybe that was Stephen Moffat even just using one word as a reference to a particular period. It's probably me over analysing something, but it was just something that came to mind. Or maybe, yeah. It's not the way I see it. Yeah. It's it, it's um, the word's utilised properly. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it is utilised properly. And it, uh, as I say, it does make sense, but there's not... It's not like reversing the polarity, which is just <laughs> thrown ju- in to, to explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just because there's not that many stories which have the, the word subroutine mentioned. Apart no. from the... Uh, Apart from when Christopher Hamilton bid me was, was script editor, so it, ju- it just made me think of that. It's widely overused in Star Trek through the nineties. Oh, is it? All right, yeah. okay. Ooh, the doctors point out the rages here, mm-hmm. um, and they use that as a point of reference. It's curious though, because I've always interpreted the Doctor's age as a lie or an exaggeration, especially when he. Pins it down to an exact year. Because the ninth doctor was 900 year old. And then from then on, he was a year older for every series. Yeah, I think, um, but given how old the doctor is, um, I mean, because this is even something that's suggestive of what Matt Smith says. He's, he's so old, he can't remember. That's right, yeah. I, I, going back to, I think it's the Reboss operation, the Tom Baker story, um, where he's just been introduced to Romana. Uh, and they mention the doctor's age, and she goes, "You've lost count." He goes, "Well, I think I, th- I think I know, ought to know my own age." She goes, "Yes, but I think after the first few centuries, things get a bit foggy, don't they?" So it, it yeah, I think there's probably times when he has lied about his age, but then has generally just lost count. Yeah, I guess in this instance, it doesn't matter because whether it's a lie or not before 900 it's mm. a good reference point for him to go forward and calculate that yeah the 400 year difference mm-hmm. and obviously the 11th doctor is probably the oldest out of them yes when you yeah, can yeah. consider their individual lives mm-hmm. i think it's interesting also that the 11th doctor spent a lot of time and he's he's aged a few hundred years because um, it was it was at a stage where Captain Jack was actually older than the Doctor, but the Eleventh Doctor finally overlapped him at that stage. Oh right, okay. Just when you count Captain Jack being buried alive or in stasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just as an aside, uh, the Doctor says in Time and the Rani that he's nine hundred and fifty-three. Right. Okay. But anyway, it's not important. Yeah. And Clara remembers the War Doctor a bit. Yes, yes, she does. Yeah. She walks in, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the War Doctor doesn't seem surprised. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> I think, given what he's gone through, though, I think, um, I think it take, I think it would take a lot for, for for that Doctor to be surprised by an awful lot. And then Queen Elizabeth comes into the cell, 
and just keeping up the act. Yeah, yeah, she uh, does. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think she does it a bit too well. She plays the part a bit too well, considering she doesn't know anything about the Zygons. Like you know, when she's ordering them around. Mm-hmm. I think she's. Uh, I think she's savvy enough to realize that. Um, there's a command structure, and these mm. are, you know, these are a threat. She's just got, to, she's just basically got to maintain she's the boss. And and as she points out, you know, that the, the, the Zygons are quite arrogant. It never even crossed their mind that their their leader would be defeated. Mm-hmm. That's you right. Know? Yeah. So you know, she's quite um, she's quite on the ball and using her not, uh, you know, using her intellect. So yeah. I th- you know, narratively, it works. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the point of the Doctor and Queen Elizabeth getting married. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, John, her doctor, says, is there a lot of kissing in the future? <laughs> yeah. Is it Matt Smith's doctor who says, yeah, it kind of becomes it a thing? It does, does start to happen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously this is after the TV movie. Mm-hmm. So, so John Hurt's not really acknowledging that, is he? <laughs> no, but I think um, it, it was with the new series where obviously it, it became it became much more of a thing that the the Doctor um, could be more romantically involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we've got the the TARDIS interiors. Mm-hmm. We we'll see John Hurt's TARDIS, and I think. I don't know if it's Matt Smith or David Tennant's doctor. One of them says, oh, the desktop is glitching. Which is a slight reference to maybe Time Crash about the desktop theme. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, But we see the TARDIS for John Hurt, which is the... which is Tennant's console. Yeah. With the classic walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, I didn't... Interpret that as being his exact console, more of a mashup of what it could be. But then we'll see in the final scenes that it actually was his console. Yeah, yeah. And the kind of coral console doesn't go well with. Well, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't gel as perhaps as much as it could. Um, it's an interesting design. Um, I think it works as as well as it could. I suppose it would have been nice if we had a um, a TARDIS which was unique, entirely unique to the War Doctor. Maybe have the roundels as a reference to most of the classic series, mm. um, with a with a console that maybe blended in a bit more. But then it was probably a budgetary thing. Maybe, but something very basic, I think, would have suited me. Mm. You know, just something something classic and kind of just simple. Yeah, because it doesn't have to be something that transitions from the eighth Doctor to the ninth Doctor's console. I suppose it's. Um, I mean, I don't mind it as as, as as such, but yeah, I suppose if if there was one thing in the story that I would change in terms of in terms of the production of it, yeah, maybe it would have been the War Doctor's TARDIS and and if, you know, give him a console that was unique to his Doctor in some way. I think mm-hmm. yeah, I think that would have been quite nice. Yeah. And I wonder if perhaps he inherited that console or not. Mm-hmm. Because we know from the Night of the Doctor that all along the TARDIS that we've considered to be Eccleston's TARDIS 
was actually McGann's tortoise on the outside. Oh, sorry, say that again. I'm just sorry. I'm just talking about the exterior of the tortoise now. Right. You know, you know the big blocky tortoise that we've had from 2005 onwards. Yes. Um, this tortoise is used by John Hurt. But that TARDIS was also used by Paul McGann in The Night of the Doctor. Oh, yes. So, yes. So, right. so all, all along, this has been the Eighth Doctor's TARDIS exterior. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just wondering, did John Hurt inherit the interior as well? Because we never, we're, obviously we never got to see anything after the TV movie. No, no, that's true. Um... I suppose it's a minor point, and it's 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 up to you as the viewer. I would I would probably think, or rather, my preference is, uh, the interior that we see in this Doctor was what the War Doctor, mm. um, ha- you know, th- th- created for himself rather than was inherited. Oh, and obviously the tenth and eleventh Doctors mentioned the roundels. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, what are the round things? <laughs> no <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether to take him serious or not. Like, has he not known all this time? <laughs> <laughs> but, but the the doctor strikes us as someone who wouldn't care. Yeah, just it's a, it's a design and lighting choice. Yeah, <laughs> a default for time lords. And we've got the repeat of the line: "You've redecorated, or oh, I don't like it." Oh, well, you, you never you, do. You never do. <laughs> so, the doctors go to the black archive. Mm-hmm. Well, they the communicate with Kate through this um, space-time telegraph. Yes, which is the only time that's been referenced in the series before, as far as I remember, is, it, is at the very end of Revenge of the Cybermen and the first episode of Terror of the Zygons. Okay. Uh, because when uh, Revenge of the, uh, the Cybermen ends, uh, well the very end of episode four, um, the Doctor informs Sarah and Harry that the Brigadier needs their help. And they go, well, how do you know? And then he, he makes reference to the, the space-time telegraph. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, that's a I, that, that's a nice, nice little nod to the show's past, but mm. in a way which, um, you know, you, you clock the reference if you're a long-term fan. But you don't have to be a long-term fan in order for it to to make sense. It you know it makes sense within the, the confines of the story. You don't you yeah. don't you don't need to have seen Revenge of the Cybermen in order to <laughs> in order for to the Doctor to make sense. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what probably doesn't make sense is the next thing that happens. <laughs> the Doctors enter the Black Archive through the painting. It's hard to interpret because we don't know the nature of the painting or where it came from mm-hmm. or what the Doctor knows about it. So the painting obviously contains a slice of reality in some sense. But the Doctors somehow go into the painting so they're, they're back in the Time War. Well, it had been explained through a previous scene where the Zygons have, using stolen Time Lord technology, used... Um, I forgot what it's called now, but it's sort of like a, a glass cube. That's right, yeah. And they use that to get into the painting. So mm. the way that it's explained is that the doctors simply use that because they've, they've then got that glass cube uh, and they, they, they use that to get into 
uh, to get into the painting that we've seen previously, yes. which has now yeah. been stored in, in the Black Archive. What isn't seen, but I don't think we necessarily need to see it because it's sort of explained narratively, but what we don't see is, is the moment when they transport themselves into the painting. That's right, yeah. And what I can't decide is the reality inside the painting is that just like a, a slice of reality, like a like a copy or an echo, or whether did they actually go to this time and place and then jump back out of it? I think the way that it's explained within the story is that these three D paintings that the Time Lords have, it's a copy of it's um, it's a copy of a real time event. Yeah. So being transported into that painting it's a copy of the last day of the time war mm -hmm. hence the reason so even though they're in they're in a painting um but because it's a slice of a real event they're still under threat through the dalek so even though they're in the painting they have to destroy the dalek and, and then get out the painting yeah and it's so it's not necessarily a doorway to a time and place yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's uh, that's the way yeah. i see it yeah and if, but of course the reality in the painting works two ways because the Dalek comes out the painting, doesn't it? Yeah, the the, the the destruction of the Dalek allows them to get out of the painting in the same way that the Zygon smashed the glass earlier yeah. on in the episode in order to get out of the paintings that they were in. Mm -hmm. So, Kate Stewart is willing to destroy London to save the world. Yeah. And that's another analogy of the Doctor willing to destroy Gallifrey to save the universe. Yes, because, yeah, because he rationalised saving billions, sorry, killing billions in order to save the entire universe as justified. And yeah, there's that clear analogy because Kate is, is willing to basically kill everyone in the whole of, the whole of London in order to, um, in order to save the entire planet. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's not the war doctor who... Um, butts in and tells her not to. Mm -hmm. It's the tenth and eleventh doctors, isn't it? And he's observing, and it's helping him make up his mind, almost. Yeah, um, but I think what's interesting is that, despite the fact it's Tennant and Smith's doctor who's trying to, uh, and and does manage to but manages to convince not to, not to set off the warhead that they still think you know l later on when they then join the war doctor their mm. initial reaction is still that using the moment is still the only way to stop the time war it's only when um smith's doctor notices clara's reaction that he's then forced to think, oh, maybe there's another way to go about it. Yes. Right. But it's it's interesting that the initial reaction from both from both the doctors is basically going, well, what we did initially was the only option. Was the only option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Clara goes to speak to the war doctor mm -hmm. um, before that final scene, you know, back in the Black Archive. Yeah. Um. And she tells him that the eleventh regrets what he did, and mm -hmm. she can tell she can tell that because he talks about it. Yeah. Um. 
and she can tell that the war doctor hasn't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, which uh, I think I mentioned before, but I think it's a nice scene. Um, it's handled very well from 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 both characters, but it, it it's nice in terms of uh, in terms of Clara's character because it shows how well she understands and knows the doctor. Yeah, totally. Um, but the war doctor argues with her that the doctor w- that he would go on to save millions, because he says, "Look at these humans and zygons, how many lives have been saved, and also how many lives have been saved because of the choice he's about to make." Destroying Gallifrey would go on to save millions more. So he decides his mind's made up, mm-hmm. and he's ready to go back, and he vanishes. Yeah. Do you think Clara heard Rose at all? Or did she just turn around because the war doctor spoke? Yeah, I think well I think the fact that that's her reaction shows that you know um she hasn't heard um Rose or Bad Wolf speak. Um she's she's just looking because that's where the war doctor's looking when he says right I'm ready. So the war doctor's about to press the big red button. <laughs> yep. And the 11th and 10th Doctors arrive mm-hmm. and um, the War Doctor gives the, the whole speech to how um, great men are forged in fire the privilege of lesser men to light the flame um, which shows he has a lot of admiration for who he becomes he doesn't think much of himself possibly at this stage uh, yeah that's a great line but just before we go on to that I was just wondering because the, the other doctors um, join him, mm-hmm. and they say they shouldn't be able to do that. These events should be t- uh, the, these events should be time locked. Do you think um, the moment has allowed them to? Well, I think that's acknowledged because the tenth doctor says it's like something's let us through, and then the moment says, "You clever boy." Oh yes, you're right. I completely forgot about that line. Yes, yes, you're right. So yeah, they do acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And then they decide to press the button together. Um, and of course, like you mentioned, Clara has disbelief seeing the 11th Doctor doing it. Yeah. Um, and the moment projects the imagery of all the killing that's going on. Mm-hmm. And she, rem- she tells the doctor, the 11th Doctor to be a doctor. And this is about what his name means to him. And he says, it was the promise of Never being cruel or cowardly, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's where that that's inserted again. Yeah, um, that sort of, that description of the Doctor becomes a running motif um, throughout the Stephen Moffat era, if you like, uh, when he was lead writer. I think that was a description that was first used by the Doctor in the, the Virgin New Adventures. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which. It may be Paul Cornell's um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Time uh, Time Worm uh, Apocalypse, I think. But yeah, that 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 was a description of the Doctor that first appeared in the Virgin New Adventures, and um, and that become that becomes a running theme, as I said, when Stephen Moffat was uh, was head writer for the show. So that's uh, that's quite nice. Yeah, and I think it is a fitting description. Yeah, totally. So the Eleventh Doctor suddenly has a plan mm-hmm. of what to do um, and this is a, 
another moment in the multi-doctor stories where there's a telepathic conference going on, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... Um, um, but it th- p- perhaps isn't explained as well here, do you think? I think it's clear that, that what's going on, I think it's just because it's, it's not as on the nose as it was done in The Three Doctors. Yeah, but you've got uh, you've got John Hurt going. Oh, oh, that is brilliant! Almost like I kind of know what you're thinking, but yes. we know that he really knows what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's sort of explained. So the um, Smith Doctor comes up with the idea, uh, comes up with an idea, and is getting really excited by it. And then the War Doctor goes, "Oh yeah, that's a brilliant idea." And then Tennant eventually gets it. So there's this idea that it's you know it's it's they're getting his thoughts. Yes, um, and Matt Smith says he's been thinking about it for centuries. I mean, that's an interesting, an, an interesting line because if perhaps a... uh, it's been running as a subroutine mentally <laughs> th- through these lives. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'd say what I said before the the initial reaction from the doctors was using the moment was the only thing to do. Uh, maybe mm. it was from that moment onwards the Doctor was a... Uh, I don't know. But yeah, but perhaps an... um, the 11th Doctor came to that conclusion quicker because he had a... On, on, on some conscious level, he must have had a much broader um, viewpoint of all this because he's experienced it so many times. Yeah, that's true. And the whole idea of putting Gallifrey in a pocket universe is... The you know is the idea of what we've seen with the paintings. You know, you're, you're putting yourself in a painting, so you're putting Gallifrey in a in a uh, a pocket universe in a sort of, in a sort of similar way. It's like an analogy in some respects. And then we've got the reference, um, "Bad Wolf Girl, I Could Kiss You," and yeah. you've got a reaction from both um, Matt Smith and David Tennant. Two different reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that's over with pretty quick, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we don't see the moment after that, do we? No, no, uh, that's it. So then we go to the final scene on Gallifrey. We've got we go back to the war council with the general, mm-hmm. and we we initially see these three doctors, and we'll also see something, which is the war doctor's vortex. Did you pick up on that? No. no, you know how if, you know how the the vortex changes occasionally. Mm-hmm. When you see the war doctor's TARDIS, the imagery of the vortex is like nothing we've seen before. Right. Okay. Um, I thought that was intentional, but no, no, it probably is. It's 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 just one of those things because at that, at that point, you know, the, the story is wrapping up. There's an awful lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's not something that I'm. Uh, I'll probably need to go back and and, and and clock that bit you're talking about. But yeah, I would have thought that that was intentional. And then the the past doctors arrive, and the general gives that line. Was it the brigadier that gave the line in three doctors? If I didn't know better, I think I was well off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. One strange thing, if you're looking at all the archive footage of the old doctors. Mm-hmm. We've got two different Seventh Doctors. We we get some proper footage of Sylvester McCoy from his era. And then we'll also see him from the TV movie. 
Oh, I wasn't aware of that because I just remember <laughs> cocking because I think it's I think that's uh, it's handled really well. I think whoever they got to do the the voice of the first Doctor did yes, a tremendous I, job because he don't sa- know his name. Yeah, no, yeah, um, but he he did a, a fantastic job. He sounds exactly like um, William Hartnell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember with the the when they've got um, Sylvester McCoy's Doctor saying. Um, the boundaries that separated one universe from the other. I'm sure that's from Battlefield, and I know that uh, the you there's a we see a brief clip. We do actually have a brief clip of um, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, and that's um, from the Partner of the Ways. Yeah, so that, that you know that, that, that's quite nice that you know. Th- um, so you know, we do actually see uh, Eccleston's Doctor in it. Yeah, I think it's nice where it's got to the point where we can get footage of footage that's been recycled and we don't mind mm-hmm. you know we we get where that line's from but it's being used in a different context yeah it's it's only sort of like uh, fanboys like us which would clock that but it doesn't matter too much because you are you, it's a line that works within the context of the story it's not some yeah. random line just going what um you know it's um it is wonderfully picked so yeah there's a there's a great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm. and it was it was for it was possibly for the hmm, it was for the thirtieth anniversary, and you might know about the episode I'm talking about whether you're familiar with the show or not. But there's an episode called Trials and Tribulations, and it's a crossover with an original sixties episode of Star Trek. Ah, oh, with those, uh, with the um, the Furby, yeah, the tri- tribbles, yeah. That's it. Yes, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, I know which one you're on about. And it's amazing the way they've done it. They've been really respectful and they've inserted the the at the time the modern day characters into the original scenes. Yeah, really well. Mm-hmm. But for the final scene, they have um, the main guy from Deep Space Nine, Benjamin Sisko. He interacts with. Captain Kirk, but they used a scene from a different a different classic episode for that particular scene. Right. You know what I mean, okay. that, that that's another instance where they've blatantly took a scene from a different episode and used it as part of that particular episode. Oh, that right. They were, that they were revisiting, um, just because it, it fits better and it works so well that you you, you know. It's from it's from the recycled that from another episode, but you don't really mind. But yeah, I remember that episode. Um, I've only seen it the once, mm-hmm. but my memory of it was just being immensely enjoyable and very and very well done. Yeah, there's a great moment. Um, are you aware with the Klingons how the Klingons in Star Trek the original series didn't look like the Klingons you know now? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. Um, some of them sometimes they were just guys painted. Um, like a brown skin colour on some occasions they, they weren't even face painted alright it's, okay. it's all a bit strange um, and you put it down to like low budget makeup or whatever but um, there's a scene in this Deep Space Nine episode where they go back in time mm-hmm. to the classic era and they're looking at this Klingon from this episode and um, they, they go to they go to Worf and they say um why does he look that way? And Wolf's like, we don't talk about that. 
All right, okay. I'm sorry because uh, I've just got the day of the Doctor on now, and yeah, you're right. They do use um, two two McCoys. Yeah, two McCoys. One from the TV movie and one from from Battlefield or whatever it is. Ah, so maybe he was so good they got him twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this instance, they could have got some new Eighth Doctor footage, couldn't they? And insert it. Yes, that's true, actually. Um, but I think the idea with bringing Paul McGann back was it was it was supposed to be a surprise. Um, and the more footage you film, the more likely it is that it will get leaked. That's true. Um, Peter Capaldi shows up, the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's really good because, you know, he was just around the corner from being the Doctor. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really nice that they, they managed to incorporate uh, Peter Capaldi, the next Doctor, into the 50th. Yeah. So he's still and... involved before he officially becomes the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Great way to do it with his eyes. It's like <laughs> there's, no, there's no denying who, who that is. Yeah, yeah. It is, he is yeah, distinctive. Yeah. Um, so the War Doctor gives off the phrase um, Gallifrey stands. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was his running catchphrase throughout his era? <laughs> Gallifrey stands. Um, probably. I mean, it's not as catchy as Geronimo or Fantastic no. or Alonzi. Oh, that just irritates me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gallifrey stands was the War Doctor's catchphrase. It never caught yeah. on. So after this, we go to the under gallery. Mm-hmm. The war doctor mentions that he feels like he is the doctor again. Yeah. And it's explained that he won't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the war doctor regenerates. We've already yeah. talked about that. Uh-huh. Um, and respectfully, they don't turn his face into Chris Vettelson. Although but... they do have a dig at his ears. Yes, and they get his eyes spot on, don't they, for a split second. Yeah, there is there is a fraction of a moment when uh, it, because I remember when I first watched it, I thought there was a moment when you would see just maybe a bit more, but there was just a sort of like a little glimpse where you get this this notion of, you know, the the regeneration is actually happening, bar yeah. the um, I mean obviously you've got the 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 energy coming out, yeah. but yeah, there there is that brief moment when his his face does look like it's changing. Yeah, it's good this scene because. 2013 gave us all the regenerations because we hadn't had the Eighth Doctor dying, mm-hmm. and now we've had the War Doctor. We didn't. We never had Eccleston's regeneration either, did we? No. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. It ticked all the boxes, and we got to see them all. Mm-hmm. Although, twice upon a time, showed with that there wasn't the we hadn't fully seen the first Doctor's regeneration. Yes, that's yeah, yeah, that's true. But we'll get to that another day. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tenth Doctor pushes the eleventh about what's going on about Trenzalore. Mm-hmm. Um, Tenth Doctor says he doesn't want to go. Yeah, I mean because one of the things, uh, uh, it's a line that's gone down in uh, Doctor Who history. Uh, mm-hmm. David Tennant's last line is the Doctor, which is uh, "I don't want to go." Yeah. Um, some people like it. A lot of people don't. I've got to say that I do. I don't particularly like it. No, I don't either. Yeah, it's a bit too whingy, and at that point, it's just like, oh, boohoo, sod off. Yeah, because um, you, you want him to go out with a bit more dignity and strength. 
Yeah. Not, um... not, not, not that feeling emotion is anything to be ashamed of, hmm. but I felt like he'd grown a lot as a character. Yeah. Uh... In, in certain ways. Yeah, so I'm not particularly keen on that line. So I think um, I think it's quite nice that they... I mean, because regardless of whether you like it or not, it, it is a line that is highly memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice that, you know, it does get a reference here and it is sort of taking the mick out of it a bit. Yeah. And that's him talking to himself, but it didn't quite work. But then Capaldi's death scene showed that you can write a good scene where he's talking to himself. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this leads up to, um, you know, we're closing the story off. Yeah. But then we we finally see the curator. Yeah. And I remember when this was first broadcast, you've got that voice going, uh, you know, I really think you might. And I was just going... That sounds like Tom... Is that Tom Baker? I'm just finding it tremendously exciting. And then, of course, it is revealed that Tom Baker is, you know, is is here. They've got Tom Baker into the 50th anniversary. And it's still a moment which I think is fantastic. <laughs> I, don't, I find it... Even after all these years, I, I do find it tremendously touching. Yeah. There was a split second where I, I didn't quite believe it was Tom Baker. I thought it's probably Capaldi. Ah, oh, right, Okay. Before I tuned in, it was voice and realised it was. But, you know, it was, it was like an older, deeper voice. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought maybe it was Capaldi showing up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But I think Tom Baker's voice is so distinctive. The moment I heard that say, it was just like, is that, is that Tom Baker? And of course it was. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's still a great moment, but that initial viewing, just the just the sheer surprise of it and just the absolute delight. And it's it's... I mean, it's Tom Baker. It's fantastic. And you can't really argue with the explanation he gives that he is a future doctor. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think it's perfectly clear that it, he's a future doctor and, you know, you'll go back to visiting just some of the old favourites. Oh, only the old favourites, though. Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of, the, some of them he doesn't admit to. <laughs> well... Yeah. Hmm, wonder who they'd be. But um, I think... But uh, again, I like what, how Stephen Moffat had, had written that scene because it's sort of... It's up to you, the individual viewer, how you take that scene. Cause the, the, I, I've got an interpretation of that scene as well. All right, okay, go on. The curator mm-hmm. indirectly tells the 11th Doctor that perhaps he is the Doctor and perhaps... Gallifrey survived mm-hmm. but he won't directly tell him and the way I interpret that is that unless he conclusively tells him Matt Smith is going to be able to face off with the creator and retain this memory alright okay that's an interesting way of looking at it right okay I quite like that yeah Um, because in comparison to the 10th Doctor and the War Doctor they, they met the 11th Doctor and then when they parted ways, they weren't able to retain the memory. Yes. And the curator has been very vague about encrypting. Mm-hmm. So that leaves Matt Smith's memory intact. Right, okay, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then, of course, um, the curator gives respect to Frank Butcher. 
when he taps his nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as we mentioned in our previous podcast with um, yeah. Dimensions in Time, <laughs> the whole thing of Tom Baker going, who knows? And tapping his nose is a reference to, to Frank To the yeah. Dimensions in Time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, final few questions. Could we ever see Tom Baker's incarnation acknowledged off screen or on screen do you think uh that's interesting i suspect not uh the reason being is because i mean tom baker's still acting and you know he's still playing the fourth doctor in big finish i suppose they could look at um at a way of bringing the curator back but it's sort of when you've got tom baker playing the fourth doctor it's, why would you want to? Because, you know, we've got Tom Baker playing the Doctor like mm. we want to. I don't yeah. know. It's it's a possibility, but... Um... They could possibly get to a point where, off-screen, the Doctor might go through a few faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could fit it in there. I feel like they wouldn't do it in Chidnall's era because they wouldn't want to go back and overcomplicate the narrative now. No, no, that's true, yeah. Um, which, which, yeah, was, uh, one of the questions I wrote down was which, which other old favourites does he visit? Mm-hmm. I wonder. We'll, we'll have a think about that. Yeah, I think it was interesting because um, n- not long after there was the Doctor Who convention, uh, I, c- I came across this accidentally a few years back where um, Colin Baker um, was doing a Q&A session and he wasn't happy that it was just Tom Baker who was asked to come back. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't remember the exact wording, and I don't want to put I don't want to put words into Colin Baker's mouth. But I think, fr- from what I remember, he was basically saying it was quite insulting. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and which I can understand. So you know, the, you know, Colin Baker, you know, played the Doctor. He's still very proud, and you know, he should be. Uh, and he's still involved and would have liked to have been brought back. I totally understand that. But with all due respect to Colin Baker, I completely disagree because even though every actor who has played the part has never failed at it, they've all been very good and every Doctor has their own fans, um, there's only a handful of Doctors who have really gone beyond Mm the the show itself there's only a handful of doctors who have managed to tap into something incredibly incredibly popular yeah so without diminishing the sixth doctor mm-hmm. he just wouldn't have had the same impact no it's sort of like you know tom baker is an actor who played the doctor and was so immensely popular in the same way that david tennant was mm-hmm. and arguably the same way that matt smith matt smith was you may put peter davison in that bracket but beyond that there isn't that many. Say, for example, um, like, for example, Sylvester McCoy. I love Sylvester McCoy. I think he's a great actor in general. And I love his doctor. But had they got Sylvester McCoy's doctor to play the curator, it wouldn't have had the same impact, would it? No, because it's, it's miles away from the era of Tom Baker as well. Yeah. And the 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 impact of the curator one you know it's a good character and it's well written but it only works because it's Tom Baker, mm. um, that's right yeah especially with Sylvester McCoy like to to the general viewers, he was um he was there for the last couple of years, and that was it but to the fans 
he's had a lasting legacy. So yes. it could have had a fair enough impact on quite a few of the fans if it had been Sylvester McCoy. Mm-hmm. But no, in general, it wouldn't have, would it? No, and I think you know it's it's one of those things where non-fans of Doctor Who know who Tom Baker is. You know, mm-hmm. they recognise him and his voice, and you know he was the Doctor with the scarf. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, Tom Baker has that impact. It's sort of um, in the same way that years to come, if they got, it would be the same thing that you know, if they brought David Tennant back because he was, he was, he was that popular in, you know, in, in our era, if you like, of you know, of, of new Doctor Who. Yeah. Be, the- because I mean, this may be an unfair comparison because she's only just started. Um, but you know, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. I mean, one, you know, really, really like her. She's clearly a very good actor, and I like her Doctor. Mm-hmm. But and this may be unfair because at, at this point of recording, she's only had one season under her under her belt. But um, you know, and I think she will be popular, and she will have her own fans and all the rest of it. But she won't be as popular as Tom Baker was, and as Peter Davison, as uh, and as uh, David Tennant was. Yeah. I wonder if it'll get to a point where David Tennant comes back and the fans are comparing him to how he looked in um, The Sound of Drums because he's, <laughs> he's so old. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, oh, look, they got that look spot on back then. <laughs> Just how he looks now. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he shrunk with age. <laughs> Do we still acknowledge the Dobby moment, <laughs> or do we just forget? Or do we just forget that and never talk about it? I'd forgot about it till you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, after the undergallery scene, mm-hmm. oh, um, is there a possibility that the undergallery could be the curator's TARDIS? Because we've got the hexagonal roundels on the wall. I never thought of that. It's a possibility. Mm. Possibly. Anyway, yeah, possibly. so moving on from that, <laughs> the, we've got the the epilogue with a Doctor's Dream, mm-hmm. um, which is a it's a great scene, great way to end the show. Yeah, um, and we see all the Doctors lined up. Mm-hmm. I think the best way to look at that is to not pause it and look too closely because <laughs> that's true. Because even at the time, we've all done it though. We're all guilty of pausing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I remember at the time, back in 2013, it still looked a bit ropey. Because you know how, um, you know the the big finish uh, 50th anniversary special, the light at the end? Yes. Because they've got Doctors 4 to 8 on the cover. Yeah. Even that doesn't look... They've they've got actors or whatever to pose, but then they've got you know they've got the actors the real actors' faces, but they're they're pasted in a really peculiar angle. You can I tell think it's in the defence of that artwork. Mm-hmm. That artwork was created to make a three D um, holographic look for the vinyl. Oh, I see. So if you've got the vinyl mm-hmm. and you move the cover back and forward. The faces face you constantly, but the bodywork and the destroyed bits of TARDIS move. Ah, right, okay, right, okay, I can see how that would work. Yeah. Um, 
but having said that though even though i'm sort of like unfairly criticizing the artwork because i mean i'm not it doesn't look awful no. but funny enough it does look a bit better to what we get in the tv series uh, in uh day of the doctor right okay in, in my view yeah. um you know because you can tell that they've got actors dressed in the costumes posing and then they've morphed the actors yeah. who play the doctors onto them it doesn't look entirely convincing yeah. No. As I say, I mean, it's really sort of like, I suppose, nitpicky and perhaps a bit unfair. Um, it's as best as probably they were able to make it. And it doesn't look awful, and you can tell what they're trying to do, and it, it does work. My favourite bit of that is the fact that they get William Hartnell <laughs> to be in a very prominent position. You know, yeah. he's, he, he's the doctor who's at the back looking at them all. It looks really good, and I, I like how. You know, the, the first Doctor William Hartnell sort of like it takes centre stage. Yeah, that would have been a tricky one. Otherwise, like, where would you put him? Just off to the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing that bothers me about this scene is it's, well, it's just like the final scene in The Three Doctors um, when he's been lifted from his exile mm-hmm. and he can go on. Um, with this scene, it gives the show a new direction mm-hmm. um, it's, it, so it's, it's working towards something which yeah. is great especially for a show about a character who is just endlessly going off um, in different directions mm-hmm. but then it's kind of resolved in hell bent oh god and he doesn't even feel the back to home feeling that was promised that's true I think going back to what you were saying about the three doctors uh, I get where you're coming from and yeah that's true but I think that can be explained in the character of the third doctor mm. um, you know he's been exiled for that long mm. um, and he, he does actually go off on, on on travels to other planets and there's that theme of trying to get to Metabolist 3 but we see you know we see him travel to, to Peladon and things like that um, but there's, there's a sense of the third doctor that you know he feels at home you know, in fact, if in Planet of the Spiders, at the very end, you know, he talks about how the TARDIS has brought him back home. Yeah. So there's that sense that the fact that he doesn't really um, travel too far away from, from Unit constantly, it's because he has a sense of place and home. So that's sort of woven into the narrative. I think that was one of the great things about Day of the Doctor at the time, which, which is the whole thing about Gallifrey, is... It gave the show a bit of a new direction. That it could be mentioned at you know at particular points that the Doctor's trying to look for Gallifrey or whatever. Yeah, it's just a shame that, in my view, Stephen Moffat mucks that up. Yeah, um, it was it was the prominent piece at the end of the anniversary special that mm-hmm. could have gave the show a direction for another fifty years. Yeah, 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 it could have, and I think that was probably the initial uh, idea. I suspect, I may be wrong about this, um, I, I, I'm not to know, this is just a guess, but I suspect the longer that uh, Stephen Moffat st- st- stayed in charge of the show, he just couldn't resist the idea of going to Gallifrey. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just think he, he mucked it up. I think um, it, the ending of the day of the Doctor, this whole notion of wanting to go home, mm-hmm. it could be revisited and also reinterpreted you know, she, the doctor gets back on this path of wanting to go home, mm-hmm. but realizing home wasn't necessarily the place you thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it could get back on track, 
in a more positive way. Yeah, yeah, that's tr- yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's just a shame that in the in the short term, personally speaking, I think Stephen Moffat did muck up the. Given what he does at the end of the day of the Doctor, which is great and epic and it works, I think in the short term he did muck up yeah. the return of Gallifrey. I think they could have. Um, he could have revisited Gallifrey almost just these little stepping stones towards finally finding it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he thought he found it, but it, it was a copy or a deception or something. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- those kind of um, examples may have been better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it for today. Is that right? Yeah, I think we've covered everything in terms of the day of the Doctor. One thing I will say is um, if, everyone, if anyone gets the opportunity to read uh, the Target novelisation of it, which is written by Stephen Moffat, I'd, I'd strongly recommend doing so. Um, it's an absolute delight. Uh, it's, a, it's a really enjoyable read. Stephen Moffat has tremendous fun being able to retell the story in this way. Uh, there's an awful lot goes on. Uh, also, what he does as well is he incorporates um, the mini Paul McGann episode, uh, Night of the Doctor, into it, which is quite nice. Um, is it right that he um, elaborated more on what was in the drink? Uh, I wasn't going to mention Yes, he does. Um, there are one or two uh, things within yeah. Day of the Doctor which... Um, with, with things like that, you may not particularly like, or you, you may do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you want me to tell you about that? Well, I, I read about that, and it didn't sit quite well with me. No, that's... Um, I mean, if, if, if listeners want to keep it as a surprise, um, try, this is a spoiler. But what he does... So, in Night of the Doctor... The, uh, the Eighth Doctor is on Khan, and um, the Sisterhood of Khan have prepared a number of potions to control the next Doctor's regeneration. So when the Doctor decides that, right, the universe doesn't need a Doctor anymore because the, the Time War needs dealing with, I wish to become a warrior, uh, drinks a potion, regenerates and becomes a warrior. What Stephen Moffat does in the novelization of The Day of the Doctor, the, there's a brief moment when... At some point, he's gone back to the Sisterhood of Khan and asked about it. And all what it was, was a sense of drama. And all what the drink was, was basically, um, it was a lemon drink, um, which he drank. And it was to give the doctor... Uh, was it lemon lemonade with dry ice or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite funny. But the it was the idea that um, the doctor becoming a warrior was really within himself. It was just that if he felt bad about the decision, at least he could go, well, it, was, it wasn't was a natural decision. It was because of this drink. You know, I suppose it's an interesting idea and Stephen Moffat put, presents it in quite a humorous way, which is fine. But I much prefer how, how it's seen in the, the, the mini episode if you take it at face value. I much yeah. prefer that interpretation personally. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit in it where... It talks about how the reason why we see 1960s Doctor Who in black and white is because we're kind of seeing it from the first and second Doctor's perspective, and they were uh, they were colour blind. All right, <laughs> which, I thought, <laughs> which I thought was quite a, a funny idea to chuck That's in funny. there. And obviously, there's another thing added to this 
that Stephen Moffat tried to add in the televised version but couldn't get the rights and that is the acknowledgement of the Peter Cushion movies yes that's in the novelization uh, and that's that that's nicely done so yeah the, the, there's some moments in there some people will like them some people won't but I think at the end of it it's Stephen Moffat has had tremendous fun and he's written the story incredibly well I really really like his novelization so it is a book that I'd recommend people to read and like what we've just discussed, there's a few little new interpretations in there about yes, the story. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but I suppose just to just to end end off, if you were to give this story a ranking out of ten, what would you give it? I can never give it top marks because there's always more that I'd want, and the story presents a few compromises along the way. But it's a very good story, so I'm going to give it an 8. Alright, that's quite good. Would you mark it down from that? No, I find it interesting because what you've just said, absolutely fine. Me, personally, I do give it 10 out of 10. Right. Because I think it is I think it is a very good story. I enjoy it immensely. I think it's, uh, I think it's very well told, very well made. I've got really no, no major quibbles with it. There's nothing really I can mark it down on. Mm-hmm. I think it's as I said, so as I said I think it's a good story I think it's atmospheric I think it's witty I think it's funny um, it does good things for the show in of itself I think it's a great story I enjoy it on its own merits if there is a problem with it I think it's what we said before which is the whole attitude of Gallifrey and what Stephen Moffat does afterwards but that's no fault of Day of the Doctor no. those issues come after after mm-hmm. the event yeah um, and of course that can be retconned um, by another writer, and they could uh, reinterpret it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But so it's just taking it on its own merits. I think it's, it's, I think it's tremendously exciting. I think it's fun. I think it's dramatic. There are emotional moments in there. Um, there are nice little surprises. Um, there's nice little continuity references, but there for the fans. It doesn't get in the way of just telling a really good gripping story. You've got John. You've got Matt Smith and David Tennant giving excellent performances. You've got John Hurd in there, one you know one of the best actors ever, um, involved in it. And and on top of everything else, we have Tom Baker coming back into the show uh, towards the end of it. I think for me, um, there's so much to like. There's so much to take away from it. The, the Day of the Doctor, which I've seen on numerous occasions, there's not. The, I don't come away with any negativity or or feeling, oh, maybe that could have been done in a better way or whatever. It's just a story that I generally love. So for that reason, I give it 10 out of 10. And so of all the multi-Doctor stories as well that we've relooked on, of all of them, this is my favourite. That's good. I think you've got a more healthy um, opinion than me because mine's based on all my um, desires as a fan and all (laughs) how... um, (laughs) All my anticipations beforehand. Ah, oh, right, okay. But I mean, what did you did you say you gave it eight out of ten? I did, yeah. I feel I mean, bad I... now. <laughs> Can I change it? No, no, no. That's absolutely fine. I mean, eight out of ten still still a damn good rating. Yeah. You know, and I think you know at the end of the day, regardless of the you know, it's still a story that we both really really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an opinion. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening, if you've got this far. And I'd like to say thank you for any new Twitter followers we've got. 
And if you're listening and you haven't already, um, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook or Instagram. Mm-hmm. And please don't hesitate to get in contact. It would be great to, to hear your thoughts about anything that we've discussed or just thoughts on Doctor Who in general. And if you've got any suggestions or, uh, or anything that you would like us to talk about in future podcasts, uh, just let us know. Yeah, definitely. And you can visit our website, which is cloisterbell.co.uk. Well, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.